This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Israel, Stephen, Caleb F., Sam VR, Joanna, and Levi. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Israel, who asks, Why did Peter lie to the people that asked him, Are you the guy that was hanging around Jesus? Israel, all four of the Gospels tell us about Peter's denial. At the Last Supper, Jesus foretold that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed, and that's exactly what happened. When Peter heard the rooster, he remembered the words of Jesus and wept bitterly in repentance. So, the question is, why did Peter deny Jesus? The simple answer is fear. Jesus was being put on trial and would later be executed. When Peter was put on the spot, hey, aren't you one of his followers? He was afraid that they'd arrest him too. Now, Peter was a complicated guy, and one of his character traits was overconfidence. He thought he was stronger than he really was. He thought his faith was solid. Here he was tested, and his failure really humbled him. Jesus forgave him naturally, and as a result, Peter began to realize how much he needed Jesus to strengthen him. That's a lesson we can all learn when we're tested and fail. Jesus is forgiving, and we need to trust in him rather than in our own strength. Now Stephen asks, how old were Adam and Eve when they died? I can answer half of this question easily, Stephen, because the Bible tells us the answer. Genesis 5 includes a genealogy of all the descendants of Adam through the line of his son, Seth. Now, with regard to Adam, verse 5 of Genesis 5 says, Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So Adam was 930 years old when he died. As you know, lifespans recorded for people in the early days before Noah's flood were much longer. 900 years seems to have been the equivalent of 75 or 80 years now. The oldest person in that genealogy is Methuselah, Noah's grandfather, who lived to be 968 years. But actually, Jared was close to that. He had 962 years. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us when Eve died. But based on the fact that Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters after Seth, according to verse 4, she was clearly around for a significant portion of Adam's life. Since she was younger than Adam by a bit, it's not unlikely that she outlived him. We just don't know. Some scholars guess that she lived to be roughly the same age as Adam, but again, that's just a guess. Now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Caleb F. Let's give him a round of applause. Here's Caleb's question. What is fear of the Lord? 
Most people try to define the fear of the Lord, Caleb, by starting with what it's not. In other words, they'll say something like this. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean being afraid of him. The word fear means something different from, for example, terror. Even though this point is right, I don't actually want to start here because I don't want to give unrepentant sinners in the presence of a holy God reassurance that they have no reason to be afraid. The Bible tells us that in our sin, we have every reason to be terrified because God is holy and will not turn a blind eye to unholiness. There is going to be justice, in other words, and if you're clinging to your sins, that is not good news. But the fear of the Lord is how you escape that judgment. People who fear the Lord will not be punished in the way that people who do not fear him will be. Let's start there. If you want to know what the Bible means by fear of the Lord, start by asking how people who fear the Lord differ from people who don't. Now, there are at least two things we can point to here. First, people who fear the Lord see him rightly. They have a right view of who God is. And secondly, people who fear the Lord are in a right relationship to him. That means they have turned from their sins in repentance and turned toward him in gratitude for his grace. They are at peace with God, not at war with him. Now, in the old days, they used to describe a man who was striving to be a faithful Christian as a God-fearing man. You don't hear that term as much now, but it's a good phrase. It meant that this man saw God as God, that he recognized his own sin and was sorry for it, and that he now followed Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. It didn't mean that he was fearful. It meant that he saw God rightly and had gotten himself right with God. Now, two words you'll often hear associated with this state of being are reverence and awe. To be reverent is to be filled with respect. To be in awe is to be struck by a sense of wonder. When you're in the presence of great power, you act with seriousness. That's reverence. When you're in the presence of great beauty, you tremble with a sense of how wonderful it is. That's awe. Now, the author of Hebrews uses these two words, reverence and awe, when he talks about worshiping God. He writes, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, and it's worth looking up and reading that whole chapter. When you hear those beautiful words, you're filled with a sense of God's immense power and purity and with gratefulness for his love and his gift of life to you. And all of that is what it means to fear the Lord. Now, again and again, the book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, real wisdom starts with a right view of God and a right relationship to him. It starts by seeing God the way he reveals himself in the Bible, accepting that picture that he shows us as true. It starts by responding to this revelation with faith, being reconciled to God instead of continuing in our sinful rebellion. Now, putting all this together, 
when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ, we are living with the fear of the Lord, the way the Bible tells us to. Not long ago, in my sermons in Matthew 10, we saw that Jesus tells us not to be fearful when it comes to the power of men. No matter what human beings can do to us, they have no real power over us compared to God. Fear of man, in other words, is foolish. But fear of God is wise. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. Our first question comes from Sam VR. He asks, do you like having breaks where Dan Reed preaches? Sam, I'm always excited to hear Dan preach. As you know, Dan is Grace's Director of Discipleship and Education. He's in seminary now, but he'll be finished in the spring and we'll get to hear him preach much more, I'm sure. Now, of all my responsibilities, the ones I take most seriously and enjoy the most are the ministry of word and sacrament, preaching scripture and administering baptism in the Lord's Supper. Nothing else comes close. So I can't say that I enjoy not doing them or taking a break from them, not at all. But at the same time, it's important for the church to hear from more teachers and to remember that the authority is in God's word, not in one particular interpreter of it, not in me personally, but in the office of preaching, whoever happens to be bringing the word. All that to say, yes, I love having Dan preach, and I hope that you love it too. But I don't love not preaching, if you see what I mean. And now Joanna asks, who is your favorite preacher besides you? Oh, Joanna, that's a difficult question, and not just because you've excluded me from the list, but because what you appreciate most about preaching is what the Spirit does through the preacher and not the man himself. So I don't really have a favorite preacher in the way that people have favorite movies or favorite teams. I am very attached to some preachers because they are my friends and because they've really been of service to me, whether in person or through their influence. There are some preachers I love, even though I've never met them. They've been dead for hundreds of years, but I know them through their sermons. But I can tell you about the most moving experience that I've ever had listening to a sermon. It was a sermon preached on this text, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. And as I've mentioned many times, this is one of my favorite texts. And in the original Greek, it's all one sentence. Although in English translation, we tend to break it up into multiple ones. It is one of the greatest opening lines in all of the Pauline epistles, perhaps in all of scripture, in all of written records. The preacher that day was Sinclair Ferguson. Now, from the beginning to the end of that sermon, the whole time he spoke, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. I felt like I'd never seen the truth as fully or heard it articulated as clearly as I was seeing and hearing at that moment. Here's the funny thing, though. Afterwards, I found out that there were other people there who heard the same sermon, and they hadn't had the same experience as me. Some of them actually were bored by it. I I couldn't believe it. All I can say is this. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me through that sermon, and I've never forgotten that feeling. So whenever I think about a favorite or the sermon that had the most impact on me, that's the moment that I always think about Sinclair Ferguson preaching on Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. 
And now Levi asks, what is your favorite snack? Oh, Levi, I wish you hadn't asked this question, because after my trip to Paris, I'm supposed to be on a strict diet with zero snacks, not indulging myself in my favorite snacks, which I feel like you're inviting me to do. Now, I have to admit that thanks to the recent trick-or-treating activity, there's a bag of frozen peanut butter cups down in the freezer, and I'm trying to forget that they're even there. My favorite snack actually changes depending on what I happen to be craving. Uh, you know what would be good right now when I think about it? Uh, tortilla chips from Hy-Vee. You may not know this, but at Hy-Vee they make these tortilla chips in-house. Sometimes when you open the bag, there will be these lumps of chips that are kind of stuck together. And they'll have this perfect blend of snap and chewiness. They're really salty. It's the best thing ever. Now, the chips in the bag that aren't stuck together, they're fine, but it's the ones that are stuck together that are my favorite, at least for now. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking the big questions.